0: With the hashtag MeToo movement, greater scrutiny has been placed on traditional notions of masculinity and general notions or approaches to raising young men. A similar movement has emerged in communities from the Americas. Specifically in the Latinx community, there is the hashtag Yo movement. Here, Latinx communities have started to scrutinize the concept of machismo. So today we ask, what is machismo? And is it so clearly analogous to the, the concept of toxic masculinity. This is Lawrence Talks. I am your host, Dave Tamez, and this is the Chala de Merienda edition of Lawrence Talks. Joining me first is PhD candidate, currently in what we call in the biz, all-but-dissertation stage, philosopher Polo Camacho. Thank you, Polo, for being here, and for those who do not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your research focuses are.
1: Yeah, so um, I... I'm a graduate student in philosophy at the University of Kansas, and as you pointed out, I'm in the ABD stage of the uh, dissertation, which means that I'm done with all of my coursework. I, Unfortunately, uh, for better or for worse, I'm no longer sitting in a classroom learning. Um, all of that stuff is just sort of being done um, Away from the classroom. So I'm doing, I'm in the research phase of the dissertation now. And my focus is on a particular principle in molecular biology called the central dogma. Uh, I won't go into the details, but um, I'm looking at whether that principle in science is descriptively accurate, practical, and also of any bioethical significance. So by and large, what I'm doing is I'm looking at a scientific principle in science and I'm, look, I'm just asking, do we need it anymore? And uh, in a year, I hope to defend my dissertation, and if that happens, then I'll be Dr. Polo Camacho, and that would be great.
0: That would be great, and we wish you all the, all the luck. Thanks, man. With that. Um, and in a, in a sense, your, your approach to answering this question or, or uh, responding to the topic of machismo takes on that very same framework that you take in, in your own work is 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 the concept machismo accurate uh, does it pick out anything in the in the world mm-hmm. um is it useful does it is it still is it still useful for the for the latinx community to use and to and to further utilize in their in their language and second is it something that we should still continue to use in, a, in an ethical sense in a normative sense it is it uh, or is it more dangerous is it Uh, something that we should really do Mm -hmm. away with. Um, And before we get into those topics, I'd like to mention that uh, this is a pre-event discussion. Uh, This podcast serves as uh, a uh, pre-event warm-up to to the event on March 19th, 5.30 p.m. in the International Room at the uh, KU Union Building. Uh, So please join us uh, for that uh, on on Tuesday. Again, that's March 19th, Mm -hmm. 5.30 p.m. So, Paul, before before we get into sort of the uh, details of your of your response that uh, folks can see on on the website, um, what is I wanted to ask what is your personal or what has been your personal experience with the concept of machismo uh, within within the Latinx community? You're being from El Paso as well, um, um, and and if if you have had any experiences with the concept?
1: Yeah. So, as you said, I grew up in the border town of El Paso, Texas, uh, which borders Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. And the population is predominantly uh, Mexican, Mexican Mexican-American. And my experience with machismo was obviously very uh, uh, ever-present. The idea was ever-present, you know, in my life, in the lives of my friends and family members. In fact, I went back and I asked my... um, my family members, what they thought of machismo and, um, how they defined it. And the response was overwhelmingly negative. Mm -hmm. So I asked my mom, uh, and my sisters and, you know, some other friends and, and they said, um, it's a concept that is meant to bring women down or to perceive them as inferior to men. Okay. Okay. And uh, then I asked my dad what he thought. And he said the same thing. He said, I, I think it's when men view themselves as superior to women. It's when you really don't give uh, women any opportunity to, 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 make, to make something of themselves. It's when you try to suppress them. And, and so that was, that was great, um, seeing that sort of convergence on the concept from family members and friends. Um and so I I I suppose it's just everywhere, right? Machismo is just something that's you see it in the media. I mean, you see it in, in soap operas, you see it uh and and in that sense it's ever it's it's everywhere. Um you know when you conjure up this image of a novella star, right? Of this male figure, right, who is you know, telling women to be quiet and, you know, like storming into a room and, you know, just demanding things. It's like, that's what it is. Right. right. And, um, I had never defined it before, but at least experientially, it was one of those things that you know it when you see it.
0: Yeah. And, and it seems, uh, from, from those interactions, there's no nuance to the concept. It, it seems to pick out something very negative within right. the Latinx community. That's right. Um, does that line up with the sort of research that you, that you put into the concept? Well, thank you for asking me because yeah. that, that's
1: <laughs> exactly what my uh, write-up goes into. Um, alley-oop. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so when I was invited uh, by Lauren's Talks to give a, a presentation and write something up on machismo, I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity for me to use some of the skills that I've learned um, in philosophy, and bring those to bear on this concept. One of the things that I learned, well, one of my intuitions was to look at what the sciences had to say about it. So I looked at uh, clinical psychology, I looked at uh, uh, other literature in psychology, the masculinity masculinity literature, and um, I also looked at some other sources of um, such as, you know, literature, Mexican literature. And what I found was two things. The first thing was that there seems to be this overwhelming consensus that machismo, at least the traditional conception of machismo, is negative, right? So everyone seems to be picking out that the traditional conception, or, or as you said uh, earlier, this, this folk conception of machismo seems to be overwhelming, overwhelmingly negative. In fact, um, in, in some way, a lot of these characteristics, negative characteristics, uh, converge with some of the characteristics that we find in toxic masculinity, such as misogyny, emotional physical aggression, sexism, homophobia, male chauvinism. And so in a way, the traditional conception is a species of toxic masculinity. They, they, They can be seen as maybe synonymous with each other. But what I noticed, number two, was that a lot of commentators thought that we need to reboot the concept. And the reason people are trying to do this is because they're, in a, in a way, acknowledging that um, Mexican-American, Latin men, or Mexican men, whatever, um, live complex lives and are nuanced creatures, right, or nuanced beings. Um, And they point out, you know, so for example, in the clinical psych literature on machismo, uh, psychologists point out that, you know, it it can pick out things. Machismo can pick out things like sincerity, um, being a lover of one's community, being an authentic individual. In fact, I was reading somewhere that uh, uh, the word macho or machismo um, has a... Mayan translation. Um, I believe it's a Mayan translation. Perhaps it's not. What? Don't check me on that. <laughs> <laughs> or no, check me on that. Um, and that definition of machismo or macho or of being macho is um, being worthy of imitation. So there's this virtue element to this indigenous indigenous translation of the word, and so uh, I just kind of looked at all this and said, A, are we really agreeing on what the traditional conception of machismo says, A, and B, is it really all that clear that we need to revamp our traditional conception? Do we really need to come up with a broader conception of machismo? Hence the name of the article, do we need a broader conception of machismo?
0: Yeah, and it seems like... uh... So it, it seems like the concept machismo has a number of traditional meanings. Uh, it seems like, it, given the history, the brief history that you just laid out, that at one point it it was sort of meant to be a word for uh, virtue, mm-hmm. the sort of things, the uh, characteristics that we think are virtuous, and um, not just men, but in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if it's would be useful to for. Um, if if it is the case that it's so, for some reason the meaning diverged in, in in recent years or in the last hundred or so years, to mean something more negative, mm. that uh, sort of the sort of the vices of masculinity, uh, or it's just simple vices that that we want to uh, highlight, um, I wonder if it's useful to sort of rebrand machismo mm. to go back to this idea of of virtue, and not just for men but just uh, for for women as well, and or yeah, any- th-
1: I think that's a a great insight. And I'll add that you know, as you as you said, as you pointed out earlier, also um, the way I approached this topic was very much the same way I approached uh, or that I approach any traditional philosophical topic or any philosophical topic, uh, whether it's in the philosophy of science, epistemology, whatever. Uh, the first thing I ask myself is, what are we arguing about? You know, what's the debate? Right. Um, and to get a better grip on that, um, if we're, if the debate is about a particular concept or conception of something, then I ask, do we agree on what the conception is? Or if we disagree, where does the, where is the disagreement? And uh, what I found was that while everyone seemed to be tracking what they regard as this traditional conception of machismo, you know, again, the negative stuff, uh, misogyny, homophobia, uh, Milchauvinism, Chauvinism, a lot of people in the literature define it differently. I mean, they're all negative. The traditional They all define the traditional conception negatively. But all of these different conceptions are logically independent from each other, meaning that you can hold one as true and yet hold the others as false, right? And that made it frustrating for me <laughs> because that made it less clear that we were dealing with this unified concept that everyone seemed to agree upon. Um, and so by and large the strategy that I uh, employ in the, in the write-up for Lawrence Talks is I really try to bring out the fact that we don't really know what it is. Um, it's this word that we're using and we seem to be tacking it on to a bunch of different phenomena, but it may be that we're throwing the word out there to describe a bunch of different things.
0: And we don't e- really have a good grip on what it means. Um, so, yeah. So, to the question of whether it's accurate, there seems to be open question about that. Right. Or whether it's actually, actually picks out anything in the world, whether mm. it's something that um, is... It accurately picks out a thing in the world that, at least within the Latinx community. Um, so, w- with that, it, is it at least useful? Um, the term itself...
1: I think that that's, uh, that can be debated, right? Uh, the term itself, because it doesn't necessarily have this fixed meaning that we can look at, um, we may just want to do away with the term entirely and say, listen, um, when I say machismo or when someone says that someone's being a macho, I'm really just saying that they're being misogynistic and they need to, they, they, they ought not be that way. Um, in which case, why not just say, right? Um, misogyny is bad, or being a male chauvinist is bad. Uh, You could eliminate the concept altogether and just identify instances of physical aggression towards women, uh, uh, homophobia, and say, that's a bad thing, let's not do that. And at the same time, uphold what we would regard as good characteristics, right? Like um, what some take the more nuanced, broader conception to be picking out, such as being an authentic individual, being yourself, right? Um, Caring for one's community, caring for one's loved ones. Um, We might do away with the concept entirely and motivate people or encourage maybe our children to advance characteristics that we deem are good without even having to refer to the concept at all. Um, Now, obviously, this would, I mean, I'm not... Obviously, I'm not saying that we should no longer investigate the concept or research it. Quite the contrary, I think we should. We should try to get a better grip on what this means. All I'm saying is that in practice, it's not entirely clear to me that we need it um, to pick out things that we say necessarily want to discourage or encourage. We can just do away with the concept entirely and just address these instances individually.
0: Okay, yeah, good. I I mean one could is sort of a sort of a pushback mm. um people might usually use concepts like machismo uh in a sense to capture um a set of characteristics that they want to either deem worthy or deem mm. uh, virtuous or deem vicious um oh, so again going back to that that question of uh you know, rebranding machismo, something similar that uh, happened within, within, you know, America is, uh, or the US is that you had Gillette, uh, in a way, mm-hmm. rebrand the phrase the best a man can get. Right. And it seems like uh, it might be useful for those who want to at least keep machismo as mm-hmm. a as a concept uh, to say machismo is, generally speaking, um, what we want mm. men to be like—it mm-hmm. um, seems like that was was the original sort of meaning of it—that is right. sort of pick out this virtue. Um, so again, I, w- I wonder if, if uh, for those who want to keep it, um, and at least—and uh, it seems like in other communities it might be used in a different way. It might even be still be used right. in a sort of uh, mm-hmm. to pick out virtue. Um, is to say that well, machismo is really the best a man can get. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that means is that they need to be virtuous, they need to be sort of uh, providers, they need to be protectors, Mm -hmm. um, those sorts of things, but not to the extent Mm -hmm. where they're being too boastful about those things. Right. Um, Not in a way where they maybe perceive themselves
1: as superior to women or anybody, um, but in a way advancing what we would regard as virtues.
0: Right. Right. And it, and, it's, and it seems like, uh, as, as your analysis sort of uh, puts out, is that the concept is malleable. Yeah. It is something that can change over time from community to community, from generation to generation. So it, I think, uh, would you say that maybe negot- a sort of so- social negotiation mm-hmm. or social discussion is, um, this is where it becomes useful?
1: Well, you know, I think this is where philosophers can get their hands, you know, a little dirty, Right, So uh, we might distinguish between efforts that try to um, define or uh, perhaps pick out the nature of machismo, um, in which case you're doing the metaphysics of machismo. right? You're trying to find out exactly what it is, what the nature of machismo is. Um, and then there's the epistemological question, which my paper touches on a little bit which is how do we know we've perceived machismo? How do we know we've, we, we, we've encountered an instance of machismo? Moreover, and you know, this might be something that we take from standpoint epistemology, is depending on the social position you're in, do you have better access to what the concept is? Um, or do you have better access to uh, knowledge of the concept, right? Um, and moreover, the ethics or the practice of machismo, which is something that you're touching on, um we might ask uh given that we know yeah but we given that we have some sort of rough understanding of what machismo is how does this notion figure in our daily lives and moreover is it a concept that's indicative of virtue does it pick out actions that are wrong if so how right and uh i think this is this is definitely an opportunity uh uh for philosophers to look at the science um, to maybe ask questions, of, as you said, about the nature of machismo, the, the epistemology of machismo, our knowledge of machismo, and also um, how it figures in our uh, uh, social and political lives. Um, in fact, I was, uh, I was reading an interview the other day where uh, this broadcaster, this, this uh, Latin American broadcaster, was being asked about uh, weather girls, um, or, uh, I guess, meteorologists, right? And uh, they were essentially called out for, uh, I guess, portraying, or for that particular TV station, uh, portraying female broadcasters in a certain way, very provocatively, et cetera. Um, and in a sense, they said, well, you know, that's what people like. In a sense, that's what they're good for, mm-hmm. right? Um and that's certainly, I mean, one could say that that's certainly an instance in which machismo is really coming to the fore, right, in the media, um, in our television, right? Uh, and we might ask what is that statement supporting? How is that influencing people's conception of what women can do and who women are, right? Um, are they merely uh, eye candy meteorologists? Uh, is that all they have to bring to the table? Um, obviously, the answer is no. Um, right. But again, this is one way in which machismo does, in a sense, figure in in our daily lives, in our television, right? You have people that believe that women have a certain role to play, and that's it, right? Their job, um, at least in this, in this particular instance, is just to go on television and just look a certain way. And that's it. Um, and so I think that even if we don't answer the question what's the nature of machismo we have every right to go hey wait a minute that's you know that's problematic um and we probably don't want to teach our kids that
0: right and it, it seems like uh given that the the concept or the content of, of the concept of machismo is is sort of uh something we can't really pin down at least not at the moment it, it seems it it can be dangerous to brand somebody as being exemplary of, of what it means to be machismo mm. or what it means to uh, put off this sort of machismo sort of characteristics. Mm. Um, so if we, it, so for example, if someone is is branded as such, they might be outcasted or uh, mm. exiled from the community in some way or avoided right. um, and And it seems like it it would be dangerous of anyone to use a concept that is so malleable or is so Mm -hmm. um, in flux about what it it actually means.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the entries in Lauren's talks picks this out. Um, I think Dr. Veronica points out that... uh, we could effectively take this notion of machismo and discriminate against people, namely people of our own, you know, background and cultural, you know, uh, cultural background. Um, and I really love what she had to say in her article. And, you know, I really can't wait to hear what she has to say when she does a podcast, but no, I think that's absolutely right. Um, given that the concept is so malleable, um, it could be that, Hey, you know, we just use it to pick out whatever we want. Right. Um, Moreover, not only can we use it to pick out whatever we want, we can use the concept to various ends, right? Uh, To satisfy whatever goals we have, whether they're, you know, uh, selfish or, you know, self-serving or not. Um, And I think that should definitely be analyzed. And moreover, I think that's why it's important to answer the question, what is it, right? Because if we know what it picks out, then we have a better understanding of, how to use it in everyday conversation, right? Um, So, I mean, I guess we can use a sort of toy example, right? Um, If we say, for example, you and I disagree on what machismo is, right? Fundamentally, you believe it's something good. I believe it's something bad. If we're talking to each other about machismo, we're going to be talking past each other, right? The whole time. Because one of us believes that it's a good thing. The other person believes it's a bad thing. Or, you know, let's not even say that. Someone believes it's more nuanced than the other person, right? Right? And so when I'm throwing the word around, right, it's going to be more difficult for us to communicate if we assume that the other person has the same understanding of what machismo is. So even in a conversation where we're throwing the word around, um, it might be harder to get through the conversation if we don't first go, hey, what are we talking about? Like, what do you mean when you say machismo? What do I mean when I say machismo? Oh, okay. I see. Then... You believe it's this, I believe this it's is this it's this other thing. So it may just be more practical in a way to really land on what it means in order to, you know, say talk to people about it and and uh and, you know, communicate some understanding of what we mean.
0: Right. And and that, that's what we hope, I think, uh to happen on Tuesday is to have um not just people who have researched the topic, but also have the community involved in talking about what exactly right. does machismo mean. Uh, what, sh- what do we want it to mean? It seems like that's those two questions are going to have to mm-hmm. be an- uh, answered. Right. Uh, what does it? What does it currently mean? How are we? How are we currently using it? Mm-hmm. Um, and what do we want it to mean? Um, if, if we want it to stick around, if we want it to sort of uh, have a role in our in our community mm-hmm. uh, or in the Latinx community it seems like we have to answer those questions right um, and, and hopefully those will be addressed on on tuesday yeah i'm excited about it it should a, be great and Paul, finally, to to sort of um, wrap our conversation up here if there's is there anything that you would like the listener or the people reading your article uh, to take away from mm. from these conversations yes uh the major takeaway
1: um that I would like the reader and the listener to maybe uh, glean from our discussion is uh, it's important to question, right? Um, and not take things for granted, uh, especially when it comes to a concept or an idea that figures prominently in our daily lives. It's important to step back and analyze these ideas Because ideas have a great impact on the way that we behave. And if we have a bad idea, an unanalyzed concept that we're working with, and we act in accordance with it, we might be hurting people, right? And so I think it's important to analyze our beliefs critically. And that's by and large what we're doing with the concept of machismo, right? Or what I'm trying to do with the concept of machismo, I'm trying to step away from the discussion and I'm trying to ask, what does this even mean, right? We seem to be acting in a way that is indicative of someone who understands what this means, but uh, what does it really mean and how does it figure in our daily lives? And so I think uh, the the major takeaway here is just question everything, right? Step away from uh, your presuppositions and... Uh, analyze any concept that you may think is familiar to you.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you, Polo, for uh, joining us today. Um, this was a, uh, Lawrence Talks, Charlie the Midian, uh Edition. I'm your host, David Tamez. And up next, we hope to have uh, Dr. Ver- Veronica uh, Jalipoto um, joining us, and stay tuned for that. Thank you. For part two of our discussion on machismo, we have a pre-recorded response by associate professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese, Dr. Veronica Gariboto. In her response, Dr. Gariboto discusses a few topics such as intersectionality and its connection to the topic at hand, namely machismo, and sort of the ways that the term and the concept of machismo has been used to sort of ostracize or be used against a uh, Latin American men, especially in, in situations, uh, hiring situations. So sit back and enjoy Dr. Garipotos' response.
2: Um, I work on Latin American cultural studies with an emphasis on Southern Cone literature and film, so literature and film of Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay. And I am mostly interested in the connections between discourse and ideology. Um, more specifically, I'm interested in how often there are paradoxical or contradictory ideologies underlying left-leaning or progressive discourses. Um, So right now I'm working on a book on intersectionality and psychoanalysis in Argentina, and this talk uh, about machismo is somewhat related to this book. Um, So in Argentina, psychoanalysis is very influential. To give you an idea, Buenos Aires, the the nation's capital city, ranks as number one in the world for patients undergoing psychoanalytic treatment. And psychoanalysis is like the leading theoretical framework in departments of psychology, film studies, literature, sociology, and art history. And in general, um, at least since the 1940s, psychoanalysis um, has been perceived in Argentina as a progressive, left-leaning discourse leading to social emancipation and individual liberation. but what I want to argue in this book is that when we look um, at psychoanalysis from an intersectional perspective, we can see that psychoanalysis has also enabled um, interlocking forms of oppression. So psychoanalysis is, 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 a, is a progressive left-leaning discourse that serves like several progressive causes. Like, for example, it gives argument, it provides arguments um, in favor of the loss of same same-sex marriage um, or um, or or, uh, feminist narratives uh, arguing in favor of decriminalizing abortion. But then on the other hand, it also um, paradoxically enables other forms of oppression. It enables heteronormative, classist, and racist ideologies. And and I'm interested in looking um, at psychoanalysis from, from this intersectional perspective to unveil this paradoxical ideologies that psychoanalytic discourses Usually have in Argentina, or that underlies psychoanalytic discourse in Argentina. Um, So, so the the, this this talk about machismo is not really like perfectly connected to this project, but 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 it is somehow related to this. It's somewhat related to this project because um, in one of my of the chapters in this book, I look at um, how psychoanalysis has provided arguments in favor of the law on same-sex marriage between 2008 and 2011 in Argentina. And in another chapter, I, I um, look at how psychoanalysis um, has provided arguments in favor of de- decriminalizing abortion in the context of the new Nuna Menos, like a local version of the Me Too social movement between 2016 and 2018 in Argentina. Um, And I'm interested in how um, the psychoanalytic discourses in these two moments of Argentine history um, have also provided discourses of normalization and assimilation that paradoxically reinforced heteronormative views on gender and sexuality. Um, And also in the context of the Nuna Menos feminist social movement, um, psychoanalytic discourses sometimes implied a racialized notion of gender whereby white, Upper middle class women universalized their own experiences, but then continued to silence the voice of historically marginalized women of color. Um, so, I'm not really that I have other examples that are, um, I think, more problematic um, and more controversial, maybe that are related to the academic environment. Um, so, um, as a partner, but also professor and advisor and interviewer of Latino and Latin American men, um, I can see like this negative stereotype of Latin American men being machista um, at stake many times and very often in a way that really, really harms uh, these men uh, in multiple instances. Um, I, I recently read a book that I liked a lot of, uh, by Devon Carvado, or Devon Carvado, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, uh, the, the book is called Acting White, Rethinking Race in Post-Racial America. And here he, uh, he argues that uh, being African-American in a predominantly white institution is like being an actor on stage. Um, so he says that there's like a central conflict, like a sort of a double bind um, in, in which uh, African-American men are caught uh, because they need to demonstrate that they are black enough uh, to have access to certain protected categories within an institution, but also they have to demonstrate that they're white enough uh, to be appreciated by their colleagues, for example. Um, So there's always this central conflict of being black enough and white enough that uh, makes the experience of African-American men in academic institutions very difficult. Um, And when I read this book, I could um, immediately connect what I was reading to the experience of Latino men and Latin American men and I can see that happening at KU a lot and very often and I would say even way more than in the case of African American men. Um, It is really hard uh, to be a Latin American, Latino uh, man who is perceived as heterosexual and not being perceived as machista and this has implications on like many different levels from teaching evaluations to the way your colleagues perceive you uh to the way that you're sometimes portrayed as aggressive or arrogant um, so, so i i can see that it's I feel like if you're a latin american or latino man you also who is perceived as heterosexual you you always need to be um Negotiating your own identity in a way that it's very difficult and that and that leads to a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of debate on um, the genealogy of intersectionality, uh, or where this this concept comes from. Um, there are some scholars, for example, Vivian May, um, who say that intersectionality originated with um, U.S. Black women, and that actually intersectionality as a field of study could lose its power when it is not centered on the, on the daily experiences of U.S. Black women who are the originators and also the original subjects of intersectionality theory. Um, but then there are other scholars like Jasmine Bois, for example, who um, suggest that um, connecting intersectionality to, to Black feminist thought only um, sort of... Uh, others or forgets the experiences of other women of color who are not from the U.S. and who might not feel represented in black feminist thought. Um, I think this is an important debate, and I'm interested in in how intersectionality theory originated. But I am more interested in intersectionality as a perspective. Um, So I am more interested in um, seeing how intersectionality helps understand how categories of difference are conceptually related to each other. So, um, when I say intersectionality, I'm like uh, following Angie Hancock's um, definition of the term, and she defines intersectionality as an analytical project designed to reshape how categories of difference are conceptually related to each other. Um, So, intersectionality tries to understand, for example, how race and gender often get combined to create difference, to create unique social locations. And yes, I believe that this concept has been both overused and misused. Um, Kathy Davis, for example, says that intersectionality um, has become sort of a buzzword. And it's a concept that is used in several different contexts and uh, with very different meanings and referring to very different social situations. And that intersectionality in this sense has sort of lost meaning. Um, And... um, I think that intersectionality has also been misused in the sense that sometimes uh, it has been seen from an additive perspective. For example, uh, sometimes we use the word intersectional to say that someone has race plus gender plus, plus class. Um, but. Most scholars in intersectionality theory think that, like, such an additive approach is misleading or or misses, um, like, one of the most important dimensions of intersectionality, like how inter- how um, these categories of difference are, are related to each other, are, often get combined to create difference. So it's not only that they are added to create difference, but they are combined to create difference. Um, and I can give an example with Latin American men, because this is exactly what we're talking about today. So... Um, it's not that Latin American men have both um, uh, gender and race or gender and ethnicity, but also that when we're when sometimes when we look at Latin American men, uh, there's a racialized gender stereotype. So there's a stereotype that combine that combines race and gender um, that labels this man as machista. So we often perceive them with a combination of, uh, race and gender, or through a racialized gender stereotype. And this is something that intersectionality, um, that a non additive approach to inter- of yeah, in- a non additive approach, um, help us see. So there are many examples that I could give on how I've experienced uh, this concept of machismo. Um, like in my, in my personal life, I think that one recent example that it's it's not that terrible or that problematic, but that came to mind when I um, heard your question, was uh, the choice of my son's name. So I have a very beautiful one-year-old baby, and his name is Rafael, and that's also his father's name. My partner, Rafael, is from Mexico. Um, and every time that someone asks me asks me my son's name, and I say Rafael, and... They know that it's the same uh, name of his father. I immediately perceive that there's this racialized gender stereotype of Mexican men being machista um, at work. Uh, there's, I, I, I always um, get comments or jokes or um, gestures uh, that reveal that people think that it is like a very machista tradition to name your son. Um, like your father, like his father. But actually in Northern Mexico where my partner is from uh, and very specifically in his family, they have this tradition for women too. So um, my my father-in-law, my father-in-law's name is Rafael. So my partner's name is Rafael and my son's name is Rafael. Uh, but also, my mother-in-law's name is Marcela, and my sister-in-law's name is Marcela. And this family would be very happy if I had a daughter and I named my daughter Veronica. That's something that I would not do because of this. this is not something that is that common in Argentine culture. Um, at the beginning, it was really hard for me to understand this. And my first, like my initial, like visceral reaction was also like, oh my God, what what a horrible tradition to name like your, your children um, uh, after after you, like after your name, that they are like unique human beings. Like why would you do something like that in Argentina? I have to say the, I think it has a very similar connotation to the one that it has in the U.S. So if someone tells me that... Um, yeah that, that their son's name is Rafael and that the father is also named Rafael the first thing that i would think is oh this is a very traditional patriarchal family but it's not it's not that way in my partner's family as i said also women in their family in their family uh, have the, the the name of their mothers or, or grandmothers so it's not that they make a difference between uh, men and women and for them it's a way to honor uh, like this new person that is part of the family. It's like a way to 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 welcome this per, this person to the family. Um, it was hard for, for me to to uh, follow this tradition, but then I under then I understood that it was very important for them, and that it was not really related to a sexist um, conception of, of 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 life. I know of, of the world. Um, so, well, I, I had like no. There, there were some names that I liked, my, my son's middle name is Ivan, that was the name that I would have chosen, Bec- precisely because it's not connected to anyone, I don't know anyone or I, anyone who is important in my life whose name is Ivan, I just uh, like the way it sounds. Um, but then I realized that, well, this, this was just a random name, not very important, but for my family-in-law, um, naming our son Rafael was super important and not sexist at all. Um, This is just like one minor example, but it really makes me uncomfortable. It's not terrible, but it makes me uncomfortable every time I perceive that people think that we are sexist or that my partner is sexist and I'm sort of uh, submissive because we named our son um, Rafael like he cannot think of any like positive connotations of the word machismo really, because I think that machismo is a very loaded word um it's not the same as saying masculinity or alternative masculinity or um so i think it's very similar to toxic masculinity right i mean the 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 adjective toxic toxic, uh, cannot but be perceived as something negative i think it's the same way as machismo um of course i mean having said that i don't think that um it is a notion or a concept that should be discarded i mean i think it's important to talk about machismo Um, in general, not only within uh, Latinx communities, because if we only talk about machismo in Latinx communities, then we're sort of reinforcing this idea that Latin American or Latino men are more machista than other men, and I really don't think that's the case. Um, So I think it should still be used, but what I would say, and probably that's um, to answer your last question, I think, uh, this is probably what I would like those reading my article or listening to this um, podcast to take away from this discussion is that um, whenever you use the concept of machismo or uh, whenever you perceive uh, Latin American man or Latino man as machista, uh, I think it would also be a good idea to uh, be like very aware of your perception and try to... Um, try to make sure that what you're perceiving is what it is and not that what you're perceiving is um, tied to your own um, racialized view of Latin American and Latino men.
0: This brings us to the end of our discussion on machismo. I would like to thank both Polo Camacho and Dr. Veronica Gariboto for their participation in our podcast today. Again, this was La Lawrence Talk's podcast. Charlie the Mendienda edition. I would like to remind everyone listening that on Tuesday, March nineteenth, five thirty p.m. in the international room at the Ku Union, we will be having a much longer discussion, uh, including two other panelists, uh, about machismo and what it means to the Latinx community and whether or not it is something that should uh, survive. It's something that we should keep using. Thank you for listening, and this was Lawrence Talks. I am your host, David Thomas. Thank you.